0: Welcome back to the Agostino Zynga Show It's I, your host, Agostino Zynga And this is episode number 609 That is 609 of the Agostino Zynga Show With I, your host, Agostino Zinga. I hope this podcast is finding you well Wherever you may be I really do How am I? Thank you for asking. I'm doing pleasantly fine, actually. Not too bad. All things considered, I'm doing okay. And when I mean all things considered, it's what? Sober October. I'm not drinking. I'm not doing any drugs. I'm not really going out. So, my, you know, half of my life or the majority of my life, the things I usually get up to on a daily basis, especially on the weekends, has been taken away from me. But, the one thing I do like about it, as you've probably noticed, it's my consistency with the podcast during a week has been pretty crazy. I've been able to drop free. I've done a couple of live streams. I'm probably going to do a patron at the end of the week. And that is all because... I'm not going out and I'm not drinking and not getting high. It's funny what that can do, right? It's funny what that can do for your productivity. Um, So that's a really stark reminder, a little bit of a depressing reminder because it means I'm now thinking about all the time that I've wasted, but that's to put that to one side. Let's just continue doing what we're doing right now and hopefully it will get better as we progress. And then I'll come to realization that actually, maybe I just need to abstain for everything if I actually want to achieve my dreams. That's the actual brutal honest truth of the matter. If you actually want to achieve something, you actually have to minimise all distractions, especially when you want to achieve things in the spaces that I'm trying to achieve and which are very competitive, um, which are, you know, where the barrier of entry is really low in terms of DJing, in terms of podcasts, in terms of being you know a content creator type person, the barrier of entry is low, the competition is flipping deep. So you really have to do a lot to kind of break through the noise and kind of build your own little audience, um, get a little bit of head of steam and finally be able to quit your day job and be able to say, yes, I finally achieved it. It's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot, but I'm really, really, really willing to roll up my sleeves and to fight for it because why the hell not why the hell not but it is funny though how dead my weekends are when I don't have clubs to go to and of course I'm not DJing as much as I would like to so that obviously is an option either but when I don't have nightclubs to go to it's really interesting how dead my weekends are so it really does need to you know, I really need to think about the next couple of weeks, which I'm actually going to think about doing, which I want to get a flipping skateboard and a football just so I can go to the park and have a little kick about myself or just join a little five-a-side team. And of course, the skateboard just kind of muck around on that for a couple of hours a day. I'm not the best, but I used to skate, you know, quite often when I was younger. But now I kind of, you know, haven't skated in many, 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 many years. So i have to basically start from scratch. Um, but I would like to kind of get that started again because I need to have some sort of hobbies because if you you take away clubbing and I have absolutely nothing to do, that's pretty worrying and I don't want to be one of those people who I kind of cuss in my head when I see them kind of have their whole personality wrapped around techno, wrapped around going to clubs, wrapped around flipping following DJs, it's really cringe so I don't want to be that person, so I don't want to be hypocrite and cuss those people while I'm doing exactly the same thing, so I want to have other flipping strings to my bow, I already think I do have them anyway because I read a lot, I watch cool movies and documentaries and stuff i go to art galleries i draw i write and all this kind of stuff but still let's talk about actual hobbies that involve me having to go outdoors i need to have some more of them that don't involve nightclubs because at the moment it's looking kind of bleak for your boy it's looking kind of bleak but that aside it's been decent again you know i can't have anything bad to say about sober october it's always great to kind of wake up clear-headed um it's always great to kind of um you know wake up and not have your bank account absolutely drained it's so good to wake up like that completely and not kind of be regretting your life decisions. because that's the one thing that people don't talk about too often it's the, always a the day after especially if you've gone off especially if you've gone on like a really crazy binge like i do Right, It's always the day after or the Monday after Where you start to regret your life decisions You're starting to think, rah, where could I be If I didn't do this and all this kind of stuff And all this weird self-doubt And regrets start to come into your head Even though a few hours before You were having the greatest time in your life You know, in your head But then soon after, that greatest time Flipping feeling ends up kind of subsiding And you end up kind of regretting everything that you did So it's a bit bittersweet when you go out and stuff And get on it and whatever it may be Because it's only really good for a very, very short period of time unless of course you're involved in it and you're running events and you're djing and stuff and you're you know i don't know working behind the door working on the door working behind the bar maybe it's a bit different but if you're just a partner like i am it does kind of it does kind of get boring which is why i'm suspect of people because i know I have like to have fun i know i like to get effed up so that's why i'm i'm always wary of people who like to do it and don't seem like they have a a, a flipping end date you know or they don't have like a flipping pause button they just love it all the time it's like hmm what are you running away from because I know I was running away from something so you're definitely running away from something if you're still going at it and you're still enjoying it to that level and you don't see anything wrong with going out all the time like there's definitely something dodgy going on there but hey who am I judging it who am I to judge we'll have our things that we do so Quick way to crack on, first topic I going to talk about is this um, Supreme and North Face collaboration that just dropped yesterday. And I've saw a few people kind of commenting about it on Supreme sort of Twitter, right? People that comment on like streetwear and sneaker new sort of stuff. And I see there's a segment of people online who are kind of taking pleasure in the fact that A lot of this stuff From the New Supreme Collection Right For Sorry The New Supreme Collaboration With um, North Face That was just Kind of released And you know Look what pictures Came out there With um What's his face I forgot the kid's face That's flipping Modeling it But you guys know him From social media He's always got some Crazy cool outfits on And I assume This new direction In terms of models Is definitely something Maybe that Tremaine Was involved in Maybe he wasn't Maybe he was But I still like The look of it I think everything in it Looks really cool Um Good pants Good jackets Good bags. Legs, nothing really to complain about. But for some reason, people were commenting online and really trying to kick um, Supreme and Northwest while they're down because, for the most part, especially during the rest of the or majority of today, actually, or the majority of when it, you know, or the majority of the day when it actually dropped, all of these jackets were basically in stock, right? They were also, I think a couple of them are still in stock, yeah, like this one here with the pattern with that kind of dragon motif, and a few of these are still in stock, and whatever it may be. Let's look at the backpacks, are they still in stock, or even the pants? the pants are still in stock it looks like yeah the pants are still one of the pants is sold out and if we go down to the backpack in this collection um all the backpacks i imagine will be in will be in stock right so yeah so anyway people are really kind of you know kind of reveling in the idea that supreme has maybe fallen off because one of their north face collaborations has you know not sold out as probably the way people would expect it to sell out now my initial reaction to this just as a lay man who has no inside information and just pays attention and is a fan of this stuff and has been a fan of Supreme for many 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 years, um, it's pretty obvious to see that all, they all they have they have basically decided to up the quantities of the amount of items they make every season or maybe every year it's definitely gone up and especially nowadays where you'd say Supreme is as mainstream as it's ever been it's no longer an underground brand it's no longer a brand that kind of you know you had to kind of buy through proxy through somebody else that lives in the States and stuff no it's stuff that everybody knows about everybody including their mum probably knows about so if that's the case and they have also kind of you know started to ramp up the amount of retail stores that they have there's rumours of a store opening up in South Korea I've had rumours of a store opening up in Germany another one I've heard another rumor of another store opening up in Italy there's another rumor of another one opening up in France so they're clearly starting to ramp things up there's rumors that they're going to relocate the London store to another location maybe that would mean they'll have more room to have more stock in who knows but regardless there's clearly an uptick in the amount of stuff that they're making, it just is what it is, right? To satisfy demand in some respects. They're still kind of pulling it back. So it's not kind of flooding the streets, but to make sure that they can supply the demand of all the stores, they have to wrap up, ramp up the quantities. So that clearly means that, you know, they're gonna be more jackets available for people to buy. And because there's only a finite number of Supreme fans, especially Supreme fans that would like to buy a North Face because that's a very particular niche in itself. It does lend itself to realize, okay, cool. Maybe not everybody's gonna be wanting to run and race to kind of sell in this jacket out because you know they've got many other in their collection. And also the other thing I have noticed too, or I'm kind of theorizing or throwing out there, if I'm not mistaken, especially in the winter, don't Supreme put out two North Faces? So there's most likely going to be a Noopsie that's going to come out too, like the classic jacket that we kind of know Supreme for. So if that's the case, they'll have two Supreme collaborations in one season. Of course, that would mean some people might decide, hey, I'm going to wait for that noopsie to come out instead of buying this jacket or whatever it may be. Or sometimes, because now as well, the other thing I just thought about, because I remember I had this theory long time ago that I was theorizing that it felt like Supreme was slowly going in the direction of maybe producing their own type of not Face jackets because they were starting to ramp up the amount of, like even you can see here, the amount of down jackets that they had, the amount of quilted jackets that they had, like jackets that you would maybe you know, um, look at and think, oh, that could be a Supreme, that could be a North Face collaboration. They started to make a lot more of those stuff in-house. And if you remember, or I remember clearly reading loads of old interviews of Supreme with the founder James Jebbia and a few other people uh, attached to it. And one of the things they always used to say was that they was willing to make the best of the best in each category. So we're going to make the best of the best ourselves. And if we can't, we're going to go link up with the people who make the best in that each category. So if it's like leather jackets, Vanson, if it's like whatever, wool, is Laura Piana, whatever that stuff is, right? They, they kind of go in and align themselves with the best manufacturers of each of those kind of things or producers whatever they be, or brands. And obviously Supreme, you know, North Face is a classic sort of collaboration because it's North Face ties with New York street culture and whatnot. But overall, they obviously do make great jackets. But it did make I did kind of think to myself like if you're Supreme and you do wanna, you know, you do wanna kind of keep amping and stuff up, you know, expanding your reach, allowing yourself to kind of make more money, maybe sort of get into a point where you start making your own North Face collaborations or be or start making your own North Face type checkers would be something that might make sense because I'd imagine the deal that they have, they have to split something, whether it's profits or whatever it may be, or there's a contract. I'm not really sure how it works, but if you can kind of, you know, take away that expense, take away having to divvy up that money and just keep it all in house, that might actually be um, a sound business decision to go down. But we haven't really seen any evidence of it. Every season, more North Face keeps coming out. You don't really hear any rumours about, you know, North Face, you know, moving away, even when Super Primo doing collaborations with Stone Island I had the feeling oh is Stone Island going to replace North Face but it didn't really Stone Island was just like another sort of like you know a brand partner they sort of work with on special projects and stuff so clearly there's been some wiggle room around it but in general in general the kind of underlying point is that clearly the quantities and the amount of stuff that they produce has gone up it just is what it is so it's no surprise that some stuff is sitting for a bit longer than it was in the past and there's only a finite amount of fans out there that are like supreme stuff and also that like you know not face stuff so it just makes complete sense that it would go that way but i don't really get this kind of race for everybody to just kind of to put out their hot take. Maybe it's a hot take thing, in it, because we're living in flipping the hot take society. Everyone's a fucking hot take McGee. But I don't know this rush that everyone has to kind of be the first person to say Supreme is dead. Is dead. Is dead. It's like haven't they proved over their twenty plus history? Um, you know different trends, different, you know, customer bases and whatever it may be, world issues, that they always find a way to survive. And some of the greatest brands do that because they just keep doing what they do. And the fans that they like, that that like what they do, keep buying what they do, and it just keeps rolling, rolling, rolling. Especially when Supreme Sight she introduced, you know, suiting to their flipping, you know, array of items they're putting out there. There was a clear idea, I'd guess, in-house that we need to basically be able to provide our customers with a route out of wearing a box logo. You know what I mean? And that's basically what they've done, maybe just by introducing them to other brands and other collaborations or whatever, maybe. So this idea that they're going to somehow die um, anytime soon is really redundant, especially when you look at the culture at, now, at the moment, especially when you look at, you know, how flipping rampant hype these culture is, and that hasn't died, you know, even though I flipping hate that sort of stuff. And that seems to be going, you know, stronger than ever. So this rush to be the first person to say it's gonna die is a bit weird. Um, and also kind of attributing, you know, a slowdown in their impact or reach because, you know, North Face. Kind collaborators are sitting is also dodgy because some of the stuff that sells out in Supreme, you know, they probably, like some of the keychains, for instance, that North Face keychain went straight away and it was like four pounds. How many of those North Face keychains do you think they made? 10,000, 20,000? And they sold them out instantly in one, in a couple of hours or something. I remember I kept checking and that, and that flipping keychain flew out, this keychain here. It went completely gaga. It's a pretty innocuous piece of thing. It looks like a bit of fabric, um, with a with a flipping jacket sort of like pattern on it, with a badge at the bottom that says North Face Supreme and a kind of boring at the top. That's it. Nothing too crazy. And I think it's like six pounds or four pounds or something like that. I'm not too sure. Let's check the price actually. But this sold out instantly. So, it's stuff like this, 10 pounds Stuff like this can sell out instantly And they probably produced, what? 20,000 pieces of this? Maybe 50, maybe 100? Then to say that, you know And they sold all those out To say the Supreme is finished is crazy Because there are people out there Who are buying these by the fucking thousands Flipping them And they're going to get keep flipped They're going to get flipped Until the fucking end of time, basically So, this premise that Supreme has done Is really, really bizarre Really, really odd I don't really get it But I guess everyone wants to be Fucking Nostradamus out there, it. So, you know, Whatever what bloody ever moving on from that i want to touch upon my favorite topic that i like to kind of you know rant and ramble about berghain so berghain have just released their november um, lineup of things that are happening at the club and the first thing that came to mind just from a fan's point of view is that is it me or are the lineups a lot more i wouldn't say underwhelming but they're very they're sort of um they're not very glitzy, are they, anymore? And I wonder why that is. Like in terms of big names, in terms of like a variety of names. There's a, there's a variety of names, don't get me wrong, but they're kind of the same type of people you're kind of seeing again and again and again. So clearly, it feels like there's been a change in direction in what they're trying to do. That's what it feels like a little bit, maybe in the booking process. Or maybe, is it the fact that in a post-pandemic world, some people have just quit DJing, some people have moved into other, you know, areas of the industry. Um, maybe some people don't have the means to come, you know, and visit or come to play in places like Berlin or travel in general. Maybe some have changed how they do, you know, approach their DJing in general. Maybe said, you know what, I'm just going to do local gigs. If I can't drive, I'm not going to go. Maybe it's that sort of vibe. Um or maybe it's just this is a, this is kind of the natural evolution of, of clubs like this. Like you just kind of have to keep reinventing yourself. And how they're basically reinventing yourself in this regard is that you see obviously the residents there playing all the time. But you see a lot of sort of like family and friends that you'd kind of maybe associate with Bergheim also playing um considerable in these lineups. But, you know, the times when I, you know, randomly went to Bergheim and saw fucking DJ Harvey playing, it feels like that's long gone. Do you know what I mean? I think the closest I saw to that was maybe recently, maybe a couple of years ago, maybe it's 2020. I remember there was a lineup where Solomon was playing in Bergheim randomly. No, I think it was maybe Panorama Bar. Actually, it wasn't Bergheim; it was Panorama Bar. Yeah, Solomon played there in 2020, I think, or 2021. So that's the last time I've seen like a quote-unquote big name that you would describe, you know, someone you maybe see on DJ Mag or Mix Mag and shit, who's gonna definitely sell a lot of tickets or who's gonna, you know, may, maybe bring a big crowd down to the place. And I'm not sure what is the right thing because I think overall, if you if you gone to Birkheim uh, post-pandemic or post-lockdown sorry you would have definitely recognized that it's not as full as it once was ever there are some nights where it does get really busy especially there are some periods of the nights where it does get really really rammed but how it was prior where it was just like a constant heaving throbbing group of people just coming in and out in and out it's not like that at all anymore it's definitely way more um sparse you you know it's for the first time in a long time i remember i mentioned this beforehand but when i used to go prior i never even knew what the djb looked like most of the time because i was flipping off my head and whatnot but because it was so rammed you didn't even get a chance to go through to the front so i was just near the especially the background floor. I was always kind of dancing on the platforms or standing towards next to the speakers on the right-hand side and stuff around the back, but I never got a chance to go near the front. And one time when I went just before the pandemic, I remember just being like, wow, man, like I actually got to see what the booth looks like because I got to, I got to see right through it from the back. I got to see straight through up to the front of the booth. And I was like, shit, I've never actually seen what the booth actually looks like. Like not even, you know, inside, just for the front. And that was basically a big sign that maybe the kind of, the amount of people that go have basically decreased and that obviously is my ongoing theory that most of it has to do with the fact that you know general punters have basically moved on and i guess we all took that we all took them for granted whether you're a promoter whether you're an event booker you took that kind of customer who just you know um on a whim decides to go to a nightclub because they basically add to the overall numbers you know you've got the club kids you've got the djs you've got the scenes and stuff but then you need the general punter person to just kind of fill out places and kind of get you ticking over sell out Couple of your dates, bloody blah, blah, blah. And that obviously hasn't happened. So I wonder. If this is a reaction to this, Berg and Berghain, like, you know what? Because we don't have general partners coming in, there's no need to book all these kind of like general DJ mag, mixed mag type DJs. Let's just book people that we actually want to see play, like interesting people, um, maybe lineups that probably wouldn't sell, um, you know, traditionally well, maybe pre pandemic in like 2018 or 2017 to 2019, and let's kind of go for it and actually try and change things because that's what I think they've done really well quietly. You know, there's a whole conversation uh, prior to the lockdown about there not being a lot of female representation, not a lot of black and brown people playing in certain parties, certain raves, not a lot of maybe queer people, LGBTQ plus people. And I feel like kind as general, as a sort of like leading force in dance music, especially in club culture, have just done it very quietly by just, you know, changing the lineups and just having them be, you know, loads of more, loads of label type takeovers. Collective takeovers Loads of just Loads of just different people That you wouldn't necessarily see Having a chance to play At a place like Um, One being obviously Lily and Big up her Having a chance to play there That's absolutely amazing And loads of other people Also that are getting A chance to play there So it's pretty decent To see that way But I am It's just It was kind of Curious to me When I saw lineup I was like Huh It is It's both underwhelming And also quite inspiring That this lineups exist In a place like this Because it clearly means That there's somebody That works there Or is associated With that That's got their finger And a pulse That's kind of plugged in Or that's got somebody That kind of does that for them Because they always seem To kind of book the, the right people The right mix um, Right representation All that sort of stuff It kind of gets ticked 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 tick, Ticked So clearly there's something Going on there That's really good And one of the nights I was kind of looking at Thinking you know what I could do a little quick weekender and just quickly nip over there and nip back again was this weekend this one here this is what i was looking at so it's the friday the 11, friday the 18th of november um and then that'll probably end up me leaving on the friday and then coming back on the following monday but that's the kind of thing that i'm kind of looking at to kind of check out And obviously if i do end up going i'm definitely going to make sure i check out flipping rso um i still haven't blood, bloody gone i feel i'm mentioning it to somebody else one of the annoying things about going to this place is that because it's always got such a great you know expansive list of people that are playing it's really difficult to kind of go somewhere else you kind of get stuck there and you just want to enjoy your party there and not go to another venue especially because the other venues are usually all over the city because unlike London they don't have clubs just in one area because I feel like for us if whatever reason we have clubs in just like what they're kind of clustered they're all, all in the east in one area all in the south in one area. Da, 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 da. but I guess because they have such great you know, relationships with the local council and shit, and they're allowed to open super late. It, there's no need to have a club in a certain area. You can just have it anywhere, and it's still going to close at 6 a.m. anyway, or whatever it's going to close at 8 a.m. It doesn't really matter. So that kind of is a good thing. But obviously, for a partner like myself who's kind of, you know, I kind of get stuck, um, I kind of get, par- par- what was it, paralysis of analysis, oh yeah, analysis paralysis, where you're just overthinking where you should go, and then you don't make a decision, and you just end up just staying in Birkheim the whole time, and then you end up complaining about it, making a video about it, <laughs> so I'm going to mix up if I do end up going, I'll probably end up going to some different places, like I said, RSO is one place to go, and of course, same heads is also a different place to go to, but, These lineups on the Friday the eighteenth is really nice too. You've got finest Fridays. You've got um, uh, stack ska 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 track. Alinka her Johnson and Mary Moxamia who I s- actually saw play at Fabric for the first first time in real life and she was really good and then I saw her play again where was it oh shite I forgot where it was again in London but I've seen her a couple of times and I've always been impressed And of course her Johnson I've got a ton of their tracks on my USBs that I play out when I did DJ a lot and I'm a big fan of their production so I'm sure there'll be decent DJs but I've never actually seen them play before so that's obviously really cool and linka is really amazing too and I could see people upload online she's always playing some really cool disco discoy type um, you know I tell her vibe type stuff so that's probably something I'm going to end up checking out as well and then the a eh, the 19th date is a big one this is a big one this is because you've got a little bit you've got a couple of uh, a um, DJs here representing, you know, D Dan, DJ Tool, Hyper Activists, and shit. So that's going to be a pretty decent one. That list is an absolute meaty one. And I'd imagine that might end up being the most busiest weekend of the absolute of November in the first place. Burger and you got Ben Clock, D Dan, DJ Tool, Etap Kyle, Hyped Activist, Norman Nodge, Jesus. And then in the Panorama Bar, you got Kink, aka Ozo, Jenny on Earth, Lakuti, Masminado Palagrili. Paligria sorry Nicola Cruz uh, Paramida And Sedef Adasi That's going to be an absolute Barnstorm of a night So I'm probably going to end up Booking it anyway And now I'm kind of Reading over it I'm kind of you know Getting excited I've got a little chub going on So I'm definitely going to end up Doing this and making it work But yeah Pretty decent lineups um, yeah, both underwhelming and also inspiring because for someone like myself who eventually wants to end up playing there, it's nice to see that they've got people playing there who are not the biggest, baitest names, but who are going to bring the absolute carnage when they end up playing. So that's really cool to see. And then I guess the following weeks, what have you got? Uh, anything else that stands out there? Of course, Nick Cobb, will be absolutely amazing to see in Bar On the following weekend, you've got Boris, DVS1, or Bo- I've never actually seen Boris play. No, I did actually, didn't I? I did. What, what am I lying about? I did. I saw him play when I went on July for the Club Sylvester, when they kind of did, did the made-up Club Sylvester to make up for the one that they didn't do in January, December, January of last year. And I went to one June, July this year. So I see, I saw him play, but I want to see actually him and his actual element from start to finish. I think I only caught it at the, the end of it or something. Um, so that's pretty decent. And apparently I've got Chris Cruz, someone I'm a big fan of. Eris Dio, I'm a big fan of also. Midland, I'm a big fan of. And of course, Roy Perez, I'm a big fan of, especially after seeing him that first time with Dr. Rubenstein back in the day at Mixed Garage. You know, i kind of been in love with these sets and how he plays for a long time since then. So that should be decent as well. But yeah, that 18th and 19th weekend is looking at something I might have to end up checking out just for the sake of it. Why bloody not? Why bloody not? And then moving on, i want to quickly touch upon this this is a topic someone posted in the actual berlin community subreddit which i do recommend if you're not a member already please do check it out if you have any questions about berlin stuff and you want to you know get kind of some help about outfits and about where to go and all that sort of malarkey i definitely recommend that you should check out the berlin um berlin community subreddit it's definitely one of the better ones in my opinion right and it's this one here I'm gonna get this up on the screen, just gonna read my username, but yeah, that's basically it, right? That one there. And obviously the question here um, regarding, which I kind of found was really interesting, was like this, controversial opinion. Burkine is not worth a three to six hour wait. Um, and the text follows, it says, if you wait in a queue for this and don't get rejected, you can guarantee you are wasting, um, So you are waiting long also on toilets and drinks um, and the dance floor will be packed by 8 p.m. and the mood will reflect this. Burkine is best when it's way more chill. Nah, I disagree I've had times there Like I said, that time I went to see DJ Harvey play In the main floor at Bergheim, The dance floor, I've never seen it more full It was legitimately insanely full I, I literally saw but DJ Harvey's hands and head come up at the end And he kind of clapped the crowd But I, apart from that, it was just rammed He couldn't even move And it was amazing One of the best nights I've ever had in my life So the idea that it's only good when it's chill Is really ridiculous Maybe if you're local Or sorry, if you're a regular and you actually live there Maybe it's different Because you don't, you don't actually like the crowd and it being full of tourists but for myself i love it but in general just this idea about waiting i may be a bit biased in this because obviously um i grew up being a sneakerhead i grew up you know collecting and buying you know rare streetwear bits and bobs and whatnot and that whole entire subculture basically was built on queuing, right? You always had to queue for things. Even if there weren't that many people buying it, there were maybe only 500 of you in the flipping country that liked that kind of stuff. You ended up having to queue because there was never enough flipping supply to satisfy demand. So, just kind of what it was. And I guess because of that, it kind of taught me a very valuable thing, right? To be patient, to be patient, and to also understand like sometimes the things that you really want, you kind of have to maybe queue up for them. So, I've never really had a problem queuing up for things. I think. There are things clearly that you maybe shouldn't waste your time queuing, but I think in general this kind of idea that you're wasting your time queuing considering how much time we always waste on our phone, we always talking to people, we always browsing around, we always just doing absolute nonsense. Because you have to stand dead, you have to stand in a dedicated spot on a dedicated area for a prolonged period of time with no real guarantee that what you're doing is going to lead to the, you know, a beneficial outcome. I feel like sometimes I think, you know, it kind of is proof of how um, indulged we are in society in general and how lacking we are in the ability to just kind of sit still and just wait for your turn. Um, whether or not you get in and out and the thing is really confusing about that post especially when it comes to Bergheim. it's in Berlin right if this was if that club was in any other country in the world it would make more sense why people would be really pissed off about having to wait so long but Bergheim, legitimately even if you walk 10 minutes away from the club there's a literal nightclub you can go to maybe not the best and maybe it doesn't you know hold a candle to Bergheim. but there's literally uh, you know hundreds of options within five miles of that club that you can get to easily there's a Taxi rank right outside, you can jump into a taxi and maybe just ask the driver. Even if you're lucky, you can ask the driver if he speaks English, hey, what's the nearest club I can go to that you would recommend? you take you there, drop you. Like, it, there's millions of options. So, this idea that you're wasting your time isn't necessarily true because you can go to a different club straight away any time of the day that you're actually in that queue, um, with the exception of maybe, I don't know, Monday morning. But basically, any time that you leave that queue, you can basically go to another nightclub, which you can't do in any other city because if you do go somewhere else, the other place might be closed and hasn't really opened yet, blah, blah, blah. But I that always happens as well and the other thing also that I think is good is that we're all going through the same thing it's not as if you don't have to wait in the queue when you're on the guest list your only people who get bumped to the front are maybe actual regulars who are you know legitimately tied to the club and would like friends and family or friends of, of the or the actual DJ themselves but everybody has to wait in the queue at some point you might not you know maybe just this queue is shorter than the normal queue but you still have to wait in the queue and i think that's um kind of comforting for the most part because you're all kind of in this together and you're also under the you're also under the premise or the idea that most likely inside you're going to have a really great time so maybe it's worth queuing that time but I think in general, you just have to decide for yourself because I'm a I'm a big believer in that like, you always make time for the things that you actually want to do. So, this idea that I don't have time to do I don't have time to do that, is always a bit of a misnomer for me because if you really wanted to do it, you would make the time. You would carve out the time, you'd wake up earlier, you stay up later, whatever it would do, whatever needed to be done in order to get that, in order to enjoy the thing that you want to do, you would always do it. So, this idea that queuing is not worth it it means maybe the subtext of it is like maybe you're not really into it anymore it's maybe your subconscious telling you hey go and grab pick up a guitar go and read a book go travel go start bouldering or something maybe that's your subconscious talking to you that hey this is not for you anymore but i don't think it's a waste of time at all in my opinion i think we waste you know i know myself i waste enough time on my phone i waste enough time on social media i waste enough time not doing the things i should be doing i know you know, through various periods of my life when I did sit down, you know, a good example being flipping college or school and stuff. The moment, you know, I was a pretty bad student, but I was always really smart. And in the moment I got really bad results and I had to actually revise because I was worried I wasn't gonna get into college. If I had those bad results I took with a test exam, I actually spent like a couple of months actually revising. It was frightening how, much I was able to flip and improve. I went from having like, you know, test scores of like E's and F's to suddenly sitting in the real exams and having like A's and B's just from two weeks of actually focusing and revising for real. And the first thing that came to mind when I got the results was like bloody yo, imagine where I would have been if I just would have focused the whole entire year like that. Right? But I was wasting my time doing other things, wasting my time doing everything but revising. So we all waste our time in certain ways. So if you come to adulthood and you finally get to a point where you're, you know, you're into clubs and stuff and you stumble across Burkin, and they tell you, hey, you might have to wait six hours to get into this amazing, you know, mind melding, um, life altering nightclub. It might be worth the six hour wait just to see what it's gonna be like in the inside, just for the possibility. Like I say before, I'm a big fan of actually seeing and feeling and touching things for myself. I want to see it for myself so having the ability or knowing deep down that maybe if i wait i might have the opportunity to see that for myself is something that i would never turn down not in the slightest so it's definitely worth it for me but if other people i understand why it would not be worth it and also again like i said i'm not the best person to talk about it because i come from a scene where i was always queuing for stuff trainers clothes hoodies jackets whatever right all the time um and also i'm somebody Who at the boom I don't know if you guys Had the same thing But we had this like You know There was a period in time Where flipping food trucks Were all over the place And people were bringing Over their recipes Of having to cook The perfect cheeseburger And this place Called uh, Meat Liquor Had their food truck When it first started And me and my friend Used to flip and Follow that food truck All around London It'd be parked up Outside of flipping You know Pubs and stuff Parked in pub gardens um, At flipping food shows At market things And they'd kind of Announce it on their Twitter I think Or on their Facebook and you have to go there really early and guess what? Cue. You have to cue for the privilege of buying a burger and sometimes it got so bad it wouldn't let you buy more than one you had to buy one only one per person burger like a cop in a fucking box logo a hoodie it was absolutely ridiculous and we did that all the time we had a whale of time we got to eat this really nice burger you know with this great meat patty and that was cooked a certain way from this person that clearly had a big passion for it you got to meet other people in the community of cheeseburger eating who fucking loved it it was all good i never you know i didn't think that was a waste of time i didn't regret that in the slightest so you know, um, queuing is what you make it. You know, it's worth it to you if it's worth it to you, really. That's the long and short of it. That's the long and short of it. Next, what if we could touch upon this? This is an interesting article that I saw on Essence the premier, um, you know, retailer that stocks all these amazing designer brands that I'm obviously super into, like Rick Owens, Balenciaga, Random Identities and other, other, other brands out there. And they've got this really cool editorial section where they do, you know, editorials and features and stuff on people, interviews and whatnot. And they had this really cool one that kind of pulled at my heartstrings and also was quite sobering and maybe reflecting a few things in my own life because... I realised when I was watching this or reading this or scanning through this, that as much as I thought this was cute, which is it's called Hey Young World, and the subtext is, um, four artistic families at home in London, photographed by Siru Ma, and styled by Marika uh, Ella Ames. It says home is where Real life takes place, the dirty dishes, the piles of laundry, the laptop left in the unmade bed, toys strewn across the floor, spilled milk and scattered Cheerios on the countertop. The messiness of a living space is intimate, a snapshot of each family accumulating in little piles that build up over a course of a day. So essentially what they're doing is that they're featuring all these really cool, um, hip and trendy couples who are kind of essence adjacent. Maybe they work in fashion, maybe they work in other creative industries and they're basically showing them in their kind of natural habitat how they live um, in their homes with their kids with their pets with their partners wherever it may be and the first thing that came to mind when I looked at this was like oh this is so cute look at the little baby you know with little chubby cheeks little chubby legs right with this cute little family right it's amazing cute couple cute family whatever it may be but the first thing that came to mind for me was this is not really in my purview in the slightest especially when I scan down and I realize that there's a couple people in here who I know and who are like I wouldn't say much younger than me, but a few years younger than me who have kind of settled down and just basically decided to kind of have a family. And I think to myself, if they're able to do this at this stage, it's clear that this is something that was always destined for them or something that they kind of saw in their kind of purview. But for me, I don't see it in the slightest. I really don't. And I don't really have any real desire to start a family anytime soon either. It's not something I've ever kind of really thought about. And I think It might end up really kind of negatively affecting me when it comes to dating, when it comes to having a relationship, when it it comes to maintaining a relationship, whatever it may be. It really might end up being a really big issue because I'm at the stage now, especially my age, where most likely the people that I meet won't necessarily be into just having a good time and hanging out and just dating or being kind of loose and open and stuff. They're going to probably want to be like, Hey, where is this going? Of course, it's going to be people that I'll meet that will kind of be on the same vibe as me. I'm pretty sure in the future or whenever, but for the most part, everyone of what which I will kind of come across with will be on that time of like, Hey, you know, what's the deal? Where are we going with this? Do you want to do X, Y, and Z? Start a family Maybe?" maybe and I'm going to have to be pretty honest and say, nah, Like, this does nothing for me. Don't get me wrong, it's cute. It's amazing. These couples all look amazing. The kids look fucking beautiful. The homes look gorgeous, you know, loving families and whatnot. But I just don't see this in my kind of future at all. And it's really odd because I think for the longest time, I kind of did see... If I didn't see myself getting married, I did definitely did see myself having a kid first because obviously that can happen a lot easier than getting married, right? You only need to flip in, not wear flip in, you know, not not wear a jacket once and then suddenly things can change very quickly. But I, I kind of saw that being something that I can kind of view in my future than getting married but now i can't see either thing happening anytime soon at all and i don't really have a desire for it at all do you know what I mean you know some guys are like oh yeah i can't wait to have a son so i can flip in have him flipping come to me to watch flipping united games or to kind of go to the park or if maybe i don't care in the slightest it's not something that has ever crossed my mind um in one bit whatsoever and i think that might be a bad thing um <laughs> And I'm not too sure if it's something because I'm not necessarily where I need to be in life in terms of my career. Maybe that's why I'm kind of, you know, because I'm quite, I'm quite, what's that word called? I'm quite, I'm methodical about stuff, right? I like to kind of tick stuff off. I'm the kind of person that eats their chips first, then their burger, then whatever. Do you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. So maybe with that kind of tick off mind thing, I'm like, hold on, until I get my career in line, I'm not even going to think about that sort of stuff because what's the point? Um, but maybe i should be thinking about it in parallel but then when i do think about it in parallel i don't have any desire for it whatsoever it doesn't it doesn't really kind of um it doesn't pull at me in the slightest i'm more kind of pulled and sort of like you know impress or sort of like envious career-wise when i see people doing the things that i want to do right um flying around the world playing in different clubs you know you know sustaining themselves over making content off of YouTube, you know, driving great cars, going on nice holidays going to the cool places, that sort of stuff is something I'm like, oh wow, I wish I could do that I can't wait for me to do that when I finally get to that stage, but when I see stuff like this, I'm like, cool for you, good for you I'm happy for you, but I don't necessarily see it in my line of sight which is again, like I said Maybe something I kind of need to think about a bit deeply because it might end up putting me in trouble, especially now given my current situation. It might be something that I kind of need to address pretty pretty quickly. Um, all things considered, but yeah, man. Regardless, anyway, of my own kind of you know in inner monologue and in my own kind of um realizations, I do recommend you check it out because it is a real beautiful feature. Um, I'm sure just off just watching looking at these pictures you can get some ideas on things that you will do in your home in terms of some home furnishing and whatnot and some interior design little notes and whatnot but it's just a really cool feature to check out I really do recommend that you um, give it a little look and just check out some of Essence or sort of editorial pieces also um, because you know they did a good job in trying of pulling at my heartstrings and getting me to contemplate my life decisions so yeah definitely check it out I'll put the link in the description but it's called hey young world it's on Essence if you just type in hey young world editorial essence you can definitely find it on Google and whatnot but definitely check it out if you haven't already definitely check it out if you haven't already then I went to talk about this topic or this article on Vice that really does touch upon the things that I've been speaking about in terms of uh, Sober October and in terms of the realizations that I've had prior to Sober October because to be fair I've been sober before Sober October what for like three weeks so I'm, I'm, I've been You know, I've been doing this for a while. It's not like I'm on it or getting drunk or getting high all the time. It's just that when I do do it, I go extra, extra hard. But I've kind of done the whole sobriety thing for a long time. I think the longest I've basically done it without touching anything was maybe six months. But I do kind of do little spurts and starts here and there in the year. But one thing that really has saved me, I think over this time in general of my kind of nightlife sort of um, period of my life has been that for whatever reason, I've never really been the biggest drinker in terms of like enjoying alcohol. Like I never really have like, a, I don't have a bar at home. I don't really have booze in my house in general. It's stuff I have to kind of go out to go and get. Um, or if I'm on the way home, maybe I might grab a, a tin or something, but I don't have like stuff that I can maybe drink at home. And I think that's always kind of saved me for whatever reason. And I don't know why actually I don't actually buy stuff like at home because I, I enjoy it when I do buy it when I go out, but I never really bother to buy it to kind of bring home and stuff. But also why I've realized going out it's that a whatever reason I do sometimes get I have it like as a crux maybe because I want something in my hand I don't know what it is but I'm always kind of like grabbing a drink which of course can lead to me kind of you know blowing b- a bunch of money and also having really horrible hangovers the next day and the one thing that I realized over the last few months and stuff especially with me going to Berlin and stuff and going there relatively sober and talking to a lot of people out there. That's the first place where I kind of saw people who went out on mass to really, cause some people that go out here sober, but you're going to like gigs and stuff and maybe chill out things that's not too crazy but they're going out to like forest raves and all day raves all weekend raves and some of them are going there completely sober from alcohol or other way around maybe not just doing the drugs and not or maybe just doing the booze and not doing the drugs or whatever maybe we're not mixing but they're very strict about it and that's when I first sort of like opened my eyes to it. I was like you know what maybe I might give this a try and then when I got back to London I did decide to go out a few times without the booze and maybe did a couple of drugs and stuff and it was a far better experience especially Especially the next day The next day was brilliant He didn't have such a because you can only imagine what the hangovers would be when you're doing like class A substances and you're also drinking so to take out one part of that experience does make the hangovers far better especially if you start to get older it's just something that you'd kind of have to just kind of you know um, reconcile with and the alcohol um, usage or the alcohol drinking for me at the most part I felt like was telling it a bit of a crux as well so I went to kind of get that under control and I know for sure because I've been out plenty of times completely sober of everything that it's not something that I need Need to have in order to have a good time i'm just doing it because i'm just there so when i took alcohol out of the equation wow 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 it changed everything and this article here um from vice basically expands in a little bit and kind of gives a reason as to why this has become a thing um especially with the gen z generation and whatnot so this is of advice that says how alcohol loss is cool a further pub visits are now alcohol free but drinking has been losing its street cred in popular culture for a while now and this is by an editor called Daisy Jones it says if you're over 25 you probably remember the very catchy and silly opening lines of Kesha's song TikTok released in 2009 the song was everywhere on radios and soundtracks um, this was also the era of Skins a TV show that announced itself with an advert of teens looking fucked up off their face um, vomiting on each other it was a time when you couldn't open a page of Enemy without I can't an ex libertine swigging From an old pirate looking bottle of rum And someone from electro crash band Glittering jing- jeggings yeah, jugging, uh, Glugging straight clampers And when Rihanna rounded off the decade By releasing Cheers our drink to that in 2010 Most of us for everyone had spent a year doing just that But over the 10 years that's passed And look around you boots is all but dried out, according to a 2002 survey from Drinkaware. Twenty per per six, twenty per six percent of 16 to 24 year olds in the UK are now fully total. That is nuts. That is nuts. That is nuts to think about. That mate, twenty six percent. These kids are like kind of boring, isn't it? Um, In August, a report from Cam and Lucky Saint found that almost a third of all pub visits are now alcohol-free. This isn't a new or sudden shift either. The non-alcoholic beverages market has grown over 360% since 2015 and Google searches for sober curious peaked in 2021 following the pandemic. Stories about Gen Z and even millennials becoming sick of drinking have been barely after the new cycle. We could sit and spend hours theorizing why, especially younger people in the UK aren't mainlining uh, booze they don't have time for hangovers because their free time um because their free moment has to be funneled into two or three hustles they prefer being online they're anxious about climate change but ultimately many of these theories seem to be overlooked one major factor which is that alcohol simply isn't cool anymore ketamine weed and mushrooms are doing just fine apparently but alcohol is an undergone a pr crisis once you notice it's inescapable at the time of writing not a single you know what actually let me talk about that the PR crest is actually true because, like I said, I remember a time when I was going out, especially around the Dawson time, right? The Shoreditch times, the Dawson times, the kind of, you know, that kind of peak um, when that stuff was popping up. It was kind of like a, I won't say a badge of honor, but you felt like you were like... The boy, you felt like you were the guy, you felt like you were him when you jumped off of the fucking train at Liverpool Street Station and had a bevy in hand, and you fucking walking down the street, walking up to Shoreditch, maybe heading up to Kingston Road or whatnot, and swigging on your K cider, swigging on your fucking. Cronenberg Shrugging on your red stripe Whatever you had in your hand Or even your bottle Of flipping Horrible wine Or Prosecco You felt like an absolute boss And people kind of Look to you like Oh yeah he's ready to party But nowadays You don't really see Many people Carrying open tins Of like alcohol in the streets Just like swigging it In general And if you do see Someone with it You maybe kind of Think they're a bit Of a crackhead Strange isn't it How this happened. It's really changed very quickly, especially in London, because you know, no, you know, it's not, I I don't know if it's actually legal to drink on the streets. I don't think it technically is, but no one really gives a fuck. But for the most part, like I said, in cool, trendy areas, you don't necessarily see a lot of people outside just drinking on the streets or just hanging out or drinking on the way to go good somewhere like kind of what we used to do, which is basically just pre-gaming as you're going on the way to the place. You don't see that at all, to be honest. Um, once you notice you're at by the time of writing not a single tracking, you get top 10 um, mentions getting fucked up, which is really interesting. Um, it continues um, I wanted to speak To some other people About the shift In drinking culture The guy behind Secret Drug Addict an anonymous Twitter account For his frank post About drugs and alcohol, and at, at the height Of Britpop agrees Of the attitudes of change He's been sober Since 2007 But since the best part Of the 90s and, uh, and the thousands Working with record labels He says I think drinking Has been celebrated Back then Was quite celebrated back then, sorry. It was rock and roll. Over the years, people's attitudes towards excessive drinking have changed slightly. Back then, if somebody got into an absolute state, it would be like, oh, they're a lightweight they wouldn't um they wouldn't he says immediately be concerned everyone is a lot more clued up about mental health and stuff that's very true i think if people did see you getting i think in most places unless you go somewhere where people just don't give a fuck i think in most places if you was to go to a bar and just start getting yourself sloshed at the bar just ordering round after round after the round, round i think even the bartender will probably kind of you know tell you to chill or somebody would come up to you and ask you if you're okay people are a lot more clued into knowing and recognizing when somebody's drinking for fun or drinking to kind drown their sorrows um, but i'm also thinking about when i grew up there was a time when you know i was drinking a lot and stuff and my instagram feed was just me out drinking it would just be pictures of my of my pints pictures of me holding a drink going out pictures of me making a funny face of a drink like it would always be like drink banter and now i can't ever picture myself doing such a thing it feels so naff if you're so childish to do something like that but that was a thing i used to do a lot back then um and you can imagine how bad it would have been if i had instagram stories then right i'd just be uploading a thousand stories of me fucking ordering drinks and whatnot he continues um, he rules of other reasons no one likes to do the same drugs as their parents did so there's that element also the price of it he says so I go out and get a in, and it's 40 pound very true also the music industry now is dependent on the live shows because the records don't sell they spend most of their life on the road they can't drink they like they used to so musicians are healthier and if you're young and the musicians are you're not you're into aren't picture drinking it's not aspirational that's very true there's not a lot of really rock star musicians especially outside of hip-hop there's not a lot of musicians who are really on it some of them kind of larp like they're crackheads or that they're into drugs but for the most part they're all pretty clean do you know what I mean it's like the it's like the it's like the future thing. Future talks about lean more time, but that guy makes too much good music and puts together too many cohesive albums for him to be flipping, you know, monged out on lean or coke or whatnot. It just doesn't make any sense. Tom Nelson 31 says he remembers alcohol being a kind of an omnipresent force in pop culture throughout his teens and early 20s. He says a lot of pop culture at the time was really focused on drinking culture there was a huge focus on celebrities leaving clubs drunk drunk behaviour being seen as entertaining on reality TV and I feel like even every song on the, at the time was about getting trashed and how fun it was to be drunk. So what changed? Rachel Lee an insights and in culture Analysis of digital fairy a creative agency specialising in youth culture thinks the reasons for being drinking losing his edge are nuanced 10 or 15 years ago many of us didn't fully grasp the pic of us vomiting a K-cider into the bush might remain online forever true that's not the case anymore being brought up on the internet where young people are highly vigilant of the risk of their drunken behavior being filmed and permanently embedded on social media which probably means why a lot of people have finsters I follow a couple of people on telegram who have like their little telegram account where they post all their nonsense that only certain people have access to and whatnot so clearly there's been a kind of cleanup of people's image online that people are kind of aware of um there are other reasons too she says like the mainstreaming of health anxiety young generations witnessed that lived through their rise and fall of wellness in the past decade and lee adds on one hand the nuanced understanding of health underpins a desire to avoid both physical and mental risk of drinking but on the other hand their most formative and pre prim- and pre or per Permitted to party coming of age years were crashed by or erased by a global uh, economic pandemic, and some of them just want to let loose. Um, likely, Nils also think social media has also the trajectory of how we view alcohol today. Uh, they said, I think social media creating this need to be perfect has taken away from the carefree vibe of the 2010s, uh, where people would upload 100 Facebook photos from a night out, exactly, me included, and everyone would look like they would have been a two-week bender. If Kim Kardashian was photographed in the same way, Lindsay Lohan was for people, would be so shocked now, but it was normal for us, which I definitely agree. I'm not going to read the entire thing, you can check it out yourself, but it's a really good article, Really recommend check it out. Um, um, and kind of speaks to the position that I'm in at the moment Where for the most part, even after Sober October The drinking is definitely going to be knocked on the head For the most part, especially when I go out The drinking is done um, I much prefer to just get on it with the drugs and stuff If I am going to go out uh, Or maybe just have a one flipping drink at home To kind of line the stomach But the kind of excessive buying of like booze at the bar is none And I've noticed also if like I've noticed how much nicer bartenders Intentive they are when you're sober Because I guess they realise you are sober And they can kind of clock it straight away and they're extra nice sometimes they might even give you a free can of coke or whatnot if you kind of keep ordering them at the bar which i usually do because i want to have some bubbles or some sensation in my mouth when i'm partying and whatnot so that's definitely a way to go going forward and obviously like i said um you know you look at you look less sloppy as well when you're out doing that kind of stuff but hey what do i know talk about going out and whatnot and stuff that i want to do <clears throat> i had the feeling or i had the thinking When I saw this in my inbox that this might end up being the perfect, the perfect, 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 perfect DJ bag. And I want to know if you guys agree or if you think I'm being bougie. So this is via the Balenciaga website and the bag that I'm talking about is the Le Cagol the medium tote bag and also the messenger bag. Maybe not this excess flap bag that this kid's got on in the campaign picture or the models got on there. Maybe it's a bit too small for a pair of headphones and a couple of USB sticks or whatnot, and some chapstick. But I think these two bags here are definitely ones that would definitely kind of look really cool if you're a DJ coming up. Now, the price tag is pretty crazy, 1890 and the messenger bag is 1690 But I do like the look of them. I really do, especially considering they've kind of got a... Y2K feel to them. I hate to use that term again because everyone's kind of ramping it up and whatever it may be, but they do have that kind of vibe to them. Um, if I'm not mistaken, this Lakago bag is based on the kind of iconic Balenciaga bag that flipping... Of all people, Nicholas Ghesquière, the Stein, who, you know, for now, I don't know what's happened to him as a designer. I think I've kind of spoken about it on, on flipping Twitter a couple of times. I don't really know how somebody can go from being so talented like Nicholas Ghesquière was during his time at Flipping Balenciaga. And now he's at Louis Vuitton Women's and the stuff that he's putting out there is demonstrably terrible. But um this bag is based on the um oh what was it called? I forgot the name of the bag, but he designed a bag uh at that had the similar kind of bits of hardware with these little studs and whatever it looked like. And I guess what Demna did at Balenciaga was that he kind of reinterpreted it or no, remixed it kind of in a way, right? Cut it up, extended it, patched it up and whatnot, and made it into its own little kind of um Frankenstein effect type bag that you see here now today. Um and it looks fucking amazing. So this messenger kind of Flat bag is also really cool. I feel like it would kind of lend itself really well to kind of being a DJ bag that you could fit again headphones like I got on now, these Sennheisers or maybe my Phonons. Oh yeah, and it's quite wide as well, so there's a lot of kind of room in that bag to fit a lot of stuff in. And the strap is really long as well, so you can fling it over your shoulder, or fling it crossbody, and it can look like a regular sort of messenger bag. It won't look too handbaggy. Um, <clears throat> And it's obviously got nice compartments everywhere that you can use. The inside of it is fairly big also to use in terms of compartments, as you can see there. But the only thing that I'm kind of doubting is that if you've you've kind of DJed or if you've been out clubbing before, you would know it gets very messy very, very quickly. So I'm just thinking if you were to go out with a bag that's nearly worth two grand, to carry your DJ equipment in and one day you just get too fucked up and you forget it there or something, or it gets nicked, you would cry so badly. I mean, I know I would. I'd be crying so, so hard. But I also think maybe the because the fact that it's so expensive, it might actually lend to you actually looking after a lot more than you would if it wasn't expensive. Maybe that's a situation I also have to bear in mind. But I wonder if this is a thing that you would see a lot more coming up. Because when I did browse earlier YouTube, to check some DJ videos and stuff I stumbled across the video channel um Luca something right the guy that does loads of videos for tech house type people or like business techno type people right all the kind of big big names like the Jamie sorry the Seth Truxler's the Michael Bibby's the Ricardo Villalobos's the Raresh's all those kind of really big dudes um and what I did see that was kind of fairly evident they don't really see a lot because you know I I listen to quite a lot of dance music that covers different sort of things i go to you know techno nights i go to disco nights i go to house nights and one thing that's very specific to tech house dj's is the amount of designer clothes you see or labels you see behind the booth. Especially obvious stuff. I'm pretty sure techno guys do it too, but they would be a little bit more subtle. But the obvious brand I saw behind the booth was really interesting. Like the Heron Prestons, the Balenciagas, the Off-Whites, the Louis Vuittons, Alexander McQueen, I saw some people wearing Gucci. I saw a lot more labels than I've ever seen in my entire life behind that DJ booth. And I was wondering, would it be something, because Balenciaga's got that weird vibe where It's sort of like a club kids brand too because of the heritage of the brand with them starting Vetements, Vetements being very tied to kind of street culture and, you know, creatives and avant-garde and whatever else it may be and then it kind of extended onto Balenciaga, even though the price point is incredibly high, right? You'd have to be a real freak to buy a 600 pound t-shirt from Balenciaga and then go and sweat in it in the burger and whatnot. But there is that kind of weird crossover that exists with people that buy it. So I wonder if this would be a bag that would appeal to the more traditional, dark gloomy moody techno djs or would this be something that would appeal to the tech housey guys who like to whistle and shit and you know where you know have like funky colored hair and you know have girls that look like they come out of love island standing behind them in a booth i wonder if that's a thing i really do wonder but both bags are pretty sick i probably if i have to go maybe go for the messenger flap in terms of my needs even though this medium tote bag is really nice i wonder how big it actually is in real life but these bags are pretty awesome. I know I might be the minority with this kind of opinion and most of you probably watching and listening to this thinking, what the hell is this guy talking about buying a 2000 pound DJ bag? That's absolutely insane. But this is where we're at as a culture right now. This is where we're at. I'm considering getting one of these where I can fit my books in there, put, a, put, put some headphones in, a couple of good USB sticks, and there you go off to the rave, so everyone can see what you're on. Because I remember I was playing somewhere recently or maybe at the most recent place I played at. And one of the guys that I played after me came through and he had one of those kind of cool diesel bags that everyone's wearing at the moment. Um, that The diesel bags, obviously, that are designed under flipping... Uh, Glenn Martin's 10 year at flipping diesel and it looked really cool he, that was his sort of DJ back he had his headphones and his USB inside there, and I thought that looked really amazing so I might have to do the same thing going forward with this sort of stuff maybe 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 I'll keep an eye out for it regardless and you know maybe you might see me in the booth with a 2000 pound Bellachaga bag, waiting to play I mean waiting for Fred again and bless Madonna to finish their sets <laughs> oh Jesus Christ but anyway let's continue on with that one I wanted to quickly touch up on this because this is something that's quite hilarious. So this is a post courtesy of Adam Port, um, one third of Kina music and somebody that I kind of rate in terms of his artistry. Um, in terms of his kind of you know remix ability, his remix ability in terms of being a producer and shit, and also in terms of him being a DJ as well. To to be honest, I'm kind of a big fan of his, and also because I'm familiar with him because he used to post on Super Future back in the day when I used to post on there. And I think at the time I don't know if he was still pursuing DJing back then or if it's something that happened you know many years after. But I do remember him from posting on Super Future. So when I eventually did see him become this big global DJ, it was quite funny. Be like, oh shit, I remember this guy. He was a post on the same forum that I was on. Well, again, at that time I had no idea that he did it because I guess he probably maybe kept it separate or secret. I'm not really too sure, but he posted this thing on his Instagram account that I thought was incredibly cringe. And again, I'm a fan of him. I'm a fan of kind of music. I'm a fan of what they do. But this is legitimately one of the most embarrassing. And I'd say highly Caucasian videos I've seen in a very, very long time. And this is Adam Port playing at some venue. And for some reason, he decides to use this occasion as an instance to basically remind the audience that he's a bad man and also kind of give them an education on what rewinds are, right? which is flipping insane. And yeah, let's click the video. This is this one here, right? Um, and let's hopefully have the sound on. There go. so it's what you'd expect from adam port to be playing right it's like a tribal melodic house type of tune something you would hear from a black coffee set something that's kind of amapiano adjacent deep house tribal house whatever it's called melodic house bloody blah, blah. whatever those guys play you'd kind of ascribe it to it and he's playing this stuff at some amazing venue which is called pont alexander the third it looks fucking amazing they've you know decorated it well cool installations and artworks and leds and lights people are going crazy there's phones out having a good time he's playing he's shucking out behind the booth and dancing and doing his thing right doing his little white boy skank and then he's playing and guess what happens And the, so he pulls, he rewinds it back, right? Because he's clearly feeling the vibe. He likes the tune. Maybe it's a tune that's going to come out soon. Maybe it's something that he's remixed. Maybe something he's produced. Maybe something he's just excited about. But it's just hilarious, the caption. The caption's what really sets it off. Adam Port writes as follows. Please don't be confused if you hear some rewinds on the up and coming shows. I'm a dance horse selector deep, deep in my heart. With the Jamaican flag emoji and a green fucking heart emoji next to it. Like, can you get more cringy than that? Can you get more cringy than that? Somehow, Adam Paul is trying to convince us that he is this undercover, secret dancehall DJ. You know, he was out there (laughs) flipping. (laughs) <laughs> playing what i don't know where what was he brought up was it somewhere in germany I'm, I'm assuming right maybe so somewhere in germany he was playing you know he was on the lineup you know playing flipping bashment or playing dancehall sets and whatnot and seven inches at these places and then somehow he developed into playing a guy that's playing like melodic house and a flipping what you call it um that like burning man or something we you know we don't believe you but even if it is true why are you telling us this And why are you explaining it to people in this really weird, patronizing way? It's really, really, really gross and really, really funny. And I have a real big kind of pet peeve with DJs who describe themselves as fucking selectors. Do you know what I mean? Like, get over yourself. A selector. Like, really? Like, that's the the kind of language that people like Red Bull and stuff use when they want to make it seem a lot more, you know, I don't know technical and whatever else than it really is then you just playing other people's music and pressing q and pause and trying to blend them in and whatnot it's absolutely ridiculous but to be fair to him if you watch the video again you hear it there is an audible gasp when he pulls the song back this audience is incredibly white they have no idea what a rewind is and to be honest as well to be fair to the audience and put it back the blame on adam paul when you technic- when, when you typically rewind a track, and I know it mostly from grime, that's something that I kind of grew up listening to for the majority of my life, right, in London. Um, you know, I had some of the best stations located around me in terms of pirate stations I was listening to growing up and whatnot. And the whole point of a rewind was a crescendo. It was like a peak moment or it's like when you dropped like a flipping dub play or you dropped like this really banging track that everyone's looking forward to listening to that's when you kind of wheel it back like people just kind of like literally going to explode out of their skin if you didn't wheel it back one more time and sometimes the song will be so good you'd wheel it back 17 million times i think a, a really obvious kind of pop culture reference um for like a rewind would be that time during the flipping Watch the Front Tour with Jay-Z and and Kanye, where they played Niggas in Paris for the first time in Paris, I think, and they rewinded back like nine times or some shit. That obviously was very apt to where they were. And imagine the first rewind after hearing Niggas in Paris playing over that sound system in fucking Paris. So that kind of grabbed the crowd, but just playing this sort of like, 120, 118 BPM melodic house stuff and then doing your little shocky dance and then rewind. It doesn't necessarily hit the same. It's got to be something a little bit harder. It's got to be something a little bit faster and it's not got to be like slow as that. Do you know what I mean? And it wasn't even, it didn't feel like anything. Do you know what I mean? It just felt like it was kind of just doing it for the sake of doing it. And then, you know, telling people, you know, kind of like in a patronizing daddy way with your finger wagging, don't be worried, <laughs> don't be confused. It's really hilarious. But let's play it one more time. Baby baby now white crowd's like they have no idea what's going on and also when you're gonna when you're gonna start the tune again maybe just you know hit the cue button a few times do, 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 build, up some, build up some fucking anticipation i'm a nobody and i know that maybe could add to the uh, the allure and to the kind of vibe of the night maybe who knows the, n- the next slide is even more hilarious because you get to see the people actually behind him up close as it's happening. <laughs> Look how confused they are. I don't know what's going on. Like, is it over? I thought it was finishing at 4 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm wondering also, this sort of like attitude in general, it's not only specific to Adam Poole, It happens to a lot of teachers. I wonder if this is something that just is bound to happen to you when you become successful. Because I know for myself, you know, my kind of goal overall is to kind of get to a point where I'm playing 50 to 70 shows per year, right? At some of the best places around the world. And again, that's not crazy amount, but that's something that I feel will fit me with the stuff that I want to do in terms of podcasting, in terms of YouTube, in terms of all the other stuff that I want to get up to. I also wanted to, you know, DJing to be a kind of an arm, an extension of things that I do, but not be my whole personality as much as I love it. Or the only thing that I do. But I wonder, when that eventually happens for me, will I turn into something like this also? Will I be kind of telling off my my fans and my, you know, my supporters and kind of doing this kind of weird patronizing, condescending thing online and making it seem like I'm so much cooler and shit? Will I do that also? When in theory, I'm doing one of the most easiest jobs in the music industry that you could ever have, especially if you're a performer, because you, all you do is play other people's music. So it's not ever that serious, but... There is something about becoming a professional. Maybe it's because you have to kind of tell yourself you're you're professional to kind of justify it. I don't know what it is, I'm try, trying to think out loud. There, there must be something about becoming an actual legit touring DJ who plays in some of the best places in the world and who's kind of revered and has fans and whatnot, that it kind of turns you into this person. Because I don't believe you're just, you are that person straight away. I think getting behind that booth, getting behind those decks, having people stare at you, having people shout your name, having people DM you for guest lists and shit, all that kind of weird value that they're kind of giving you. People, you know, if you're a hot girl, people wanting to take you out for dinner and stuff and offering you gifts and wanting to fly you out to places just because you flipping play music, it can maybe get a little bit weird to kind of get your head around. And you can sometimes maybe start to believe how you can sometimes maybe believe that your shit doesn't stink and believe the hype that people are giving you and you can maybe kind of get your head in and suddenly you turn into this maniacal monster and then suddenly you're flipping Charlotte Wit, calling flipping, you know, um, guys who sit in their bedroom and make tunes, nerds, <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's basically what it can end up turning into. I think I'm not too sure, but I saw that person. I was like, God almighty, the cringe is super high. But again, I've been following kind of music for a while, um, it's kind of cool to see how big they've become over the last few years. Um, they've definitely gone, I'd say, I will not say mainstream, but they've become a lot more popular than they were when I was first following them. And it's just cool to see that they've kind of grown what I sort of maybe saw as just a SoundCloud with cool flyers for their radio mixes into a fully fledged operation. And I also like the fact that they're all still friends, you know, because sometimes, you know, these things happen and you kind of grow up and so you kind of get bigger and you become more successful and then suddenly people start wanting to leave do their own thing or they basically fall out. I like that they're also friends. I like that they all have a of style. I like that, you know, again, Adam, for the, what I know is basically straight edge and, you know, where's it with pride and the other guys I don't think are. Like there's a good mix of personalities and people in an interest group It's quite cool. And it's also nice that every person has their own little kind of pull. It's not like if you don't book Adam, there's no point in booking anybody else. They all have a kind of pool that you'd want, especially if you want to you know, play that kind of sound from And Me to Rampa. They all kind of got their own little thing. So this is not something to hate at them. It's just... I don't know, I just see that, and I just, I can't not cringe. I can't not feel embarrassed for you for writing that. You know what I mean? Don't be confused, please. If you hear Rewinds on the upcoming shows, I'm a dancehall selector. Fucking, deep, deep in my heart. And it's funny, you're playing that kind of music, which is tribal, which is generally associated with Africa, and you've got the fucking Jamaican flag there. What does Jamaica have to do with tribal music? Absolutely hilarious. But hey, I guess you got to do what you got to do when you're the the main guy on the scene, isn't it? you got to do what you gotta do moving on from that i want to quickly touch upon this touch upon this touch upon this touch upon this the kanye documentary called last week that he put out on his channel which is fast approaching 1 million views already which is absolutely insane right for a little 30 minute vlog that he put out but i want to say flat out that this documentary is absolutely sick and I get why people are so excited by it. I get why people have been watching it again and again. I get why people have been watching it and studying here and pulling out screen grabs and stuff and going crazy over it. I understand, I understand, I understand. This documentary is amazing it really truly is amazing because what it shows is especially for a fan of Kanye especially when you go to the beginning and you got this flipping amazing um, real life um, kind of GTA type game thing that they have going on right the first thing that it kind of shows I think when you check this thing out is that Kanye is actually a good dude and he's actually really good at what he does He's actually really good at delegating, he's actually really good at kind of being a leader, being a businessman, being a creative, and generally just being an all-round decent human being. And I think what this goes to show really in general, weirdly enough, is that it kind of shows um, Kanye to up a little bit because it proves that he can be a good dude, he can be cool, but he just chooses to be a prick because this is pretty cool like you can't imagine somebody acting the way that Kanye has the last week or so 24/7 and also running a business it's not it can't happen so clearly he has that punch on of doing that kind of stuff when he wants to but most of the time he's just cool and most of the time people that actually deal with him day to day they get to see this side of Kanye the one that produces this sort of stuff and put this sort of stuff together so you got this really cool game um, with the person wearing all the Yeezy with the character in the Computer game where the Yeezy Gap engineered by Balenciaga stuff. And then the rest of the stuff is just clips um, of basically Kanye throughout that previous week when he was going wild on the flipping internet and whatnot, running around a car, connecting business, doing what he did. Which is funny because I think everybody else online kind of thought when he was ranting and raving online that he was just sitting on his phone, not doing anything. But at the time that he was ranting and raving, he was in the process of buying out a manufacturer of like what pullover hoodies or sweats or something, whatever they make. Um, He was having, you know, meetings with the Adidas executives. That was really fucking hilarious and incredible. Like, I think that's the one moment everyone kind of is talking about where this is a meeting that kind of led to the freak out of Adidas where essentially in this screen, um, he is in a meeting room with AIDAS executives and he stands up and starts to play porn on his phone and he basically says to one of the guys in the, in the meeting, this guy sounds like you and he just keeps pointing to it and it's full on porn on his phone and he's playing it and he's pointing it towards his ear. Listen, listen, this guy sounds like you, innit? it? And it's clearly a power play, right? It's clearly there to kind of de- demonstrate that he is the main guy in this room and that he's the one kind of setting the pace. And clearly they kind of all kind of indulge him until one of the guys who's he's kind of really put into, it is like, no, no, just chill out, man, relax, relax. And then they kind of get to talking. But it's a really hilarious point because it's funny to see like executives that would, you know, if you were to Adidas, um, these executives walking into your store, walking on your level, on your floor walking into your studio coming to visit you whatever on whatever it may be any of these executives come you're all shaking but Kanye is such a big dog he makes those guys that would make store systems shake shake all the time by flipping playing or blasting flipping you know German Pornhub stuff on his ear it's absolutely hilarious right and then you see all the cool stuff of him obviously arguing and debating with them. and then I guess the other thing that I really liked about this was whoever the right hand man was There's a right-hand man that Kanye deals with who I guess sounds like or looks like the lawyer or the accountant or maybe the business part. I'm not really too sure what his actual title is, but it's cool because they're clearly very different in how they approach business. They're clearly very different on how they look in terms of their kind of, you know, flipping the way they put themselves together and whatnot. But I like the fact that he rides for Kanye really hard and he's able to kind of translate Kanye's thoughts without even him telling anything in... I would say, business terms. It may be layman's terms. It may be reasonable terms and not so super bombastic about, you know, I'm the greatest person since Warhol, blah, 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 blah. He's able to kind of dilute, he's able to kind of, translate it to make it sound a bit better and a little bit more palatable for somebody that's some kind of, you know, a middle, mid-level executive and whatnot. And then of course we see him tinkering with certain things in the studio itself, talking about design, talking about the things that he wants to do, this bag, this um, seat that turns into a bag thing was really cool, this concept idea. So it's a thing that you could kind of use to kind of carry your stuff in, but it also could, could double up as an actual kind of modular um, or mobile sort of piece of furniture that you could use to kind of carry around to sit anywhere. Him just doing some little styling hits and having an archive of images on his phone that he uses to design stuff with. It was all really cool to see, I'm not going to lie. And I also like the fact that I saw stuff like this, which is just somebody essentially taking a picture of an item that maybe it's already been made and then i guess prototyping it on photoshop or illustrator by having another layer of a, like, of an image that they want to put over top of it maybe this is a, a uh, maybe this is a pattern that's going to be stitched on maybe it's a Maybe it's a colour that's going to be added, a panel, whatever it may be. It's just cool to see that the same process that I use to kind of design my flyers or to put together little line sheets is the same thing somebody that's designing at easy using too. It's always cool to see that. I think that's more so my university mindset. I remember when I was in uni at St Martin's, one of the things that you'd always like to see is like just to see somebody you looked up to doing the same thing that you're doing, right? Or maybe you get an insight into how to do that thing in a kind of student kind of way by looking at documentaries and whatnot. So seeing this sort of stuff really kind of works for me and gets me really pumped up. But like I said, the sad thing about it is that this goes to prove that Kanye, when he's being a dick, he's being a dick because he wants to be a dick because clearly in his everyday life to run a business that's generating the amount of income is generating, the amount of noise, is generating, how it's affecting culture, you can't be a dick here 24-7. You have to be a good business person. You have to be a good leader in some respects. You have to be innovative in some respects and that requires you to be clear-minded and also that doesn't, I guess, in my opinion anyway, that doesn't mean that that person is gonna be suffering from mental health issues um, all the time because you won't be able to perform or operate at that level. I just don't believe that's true. So it kind of puts that to bed. But the really sad and heartbreaking part of it is definitely the end where he goes to go and watch um, one of his daughters uh, play basketball. And they kind of look at it, when you see it at first, it's kind of like a perfect co-parenting type of vibe at first, But then the more the kind of video progresses, you basically get to see that it's Kanye there on his home is on is Kanye there on his own to see his daughter and not Kanye there with his family to see his daughter play football, if you get what I mean. So play basketball. It's definitely him on his own. And then there's a real heartbreaking bit at the end with no music, no nothing, where he kind of basically walks out of the auditorium on his own. He kind of know I think the, the the shot that's really cool about this is like yeah there it is. There's a shot with Kim there as well. And again the funny thing as well you can see they don't like each other at all in the slightest. They don't even they don't even like glance at each other. Like they just ignore each other. Wise. They're kind of talking at each other through the kids. They're not talking to each other at all. It's kind of fucking freaky to see. So clearly the relationship has come to a screeching halt. They don't even talk. They don't even communicate in a nice way, maybe through text, but not in person or not that we've seen here in person. But it starts off looking quite cool them being a family together. And then as it progresses, as they are leaving the kind of basketball court auditorium and kind of is getting led out and stuff or talking to other people, he's clearly on his own like by himself waiting for his car to come knowing us around. And that's the kind of heartbreaking part about it, of like what it actually requires to be a creative at his level what it actually, the things you have to sacrifice and give up when you wanna actually share your opinion, especially if it's controversial hot takes and whatnot, um, that he's effectively on his own. All his cool trendy friends that wanna be associated with him because he's bad for business. His family's obviously had enough of him because they had to deal with him 24 seven. And it's just basically him outside in his own or on his phone conducting deals, conducting business. But you know, the the thing that he wants the most, his family is basically fractured, but it's a really good documentary regardless. Like it's really, really good. Maybe I'm kind of pulling too much from it and I'm over analyzing it and whatnot but that aside if you're a creative and you kind of want to see um the behind the scenes of Kanye and what he does because you don't really see that too much really um he doesn't really upload a lot of that kind of background stuff he did it before on his on his twitter right in 2018 i think he did take a lot of pictures of his you know studio and you saw loads of Yeezys, so yeezys that are being kind of developed and colorways that are being worked on but him kind of like you know vlogging and showing us his day-to-day and how he conducts business you don't get to see it too tough so to see this is pretty special so i was definitely i was definitely excited when i saw this kind of put out and hopefully we'll see some more maybe he'll do uh last last week yeah i mean kind of thing coming up here and there on his channel but it's a really fast approaching a mean million views already bro it's on 999 views what some of the comments saying here see so he mad respect for hoodie sales guy salesman he was on his a game kind on the artist who can drop four minute long video game recreation followed by a 26 million long vlog and a tiny circle and have no one question it Channel this energy into the a album so clearly people are loving the documentary as much as i did also so definitely check it out if you haven't already so i went to talk about this actually this is what i went to kind of end the show on so this is a segment on outtake from an interview that kanye did with tucker carson on fox news that i'm sure a lot of you have kind of already seen or heard about and i guess vice somehow managed to acquire or get their hands on some of the outtakes from that interview where he basically went off on one and said some maybe what people would deem to be quote unquote crazy things and in this particular snippet he speaks about his relationship with Virgil and how his death affected him and whatnot and I think this might be the first time we've actually heard Kanye speak at length about Virgil in any kind of way because one thing that really I guess is a fan of Virgil and as somebody who kind of had the opportunity to work with him for a very very short period of time in my previous workplace and somebody who was really kind of you know, weirdly affected by his passing, even though, again, like I said, I didn't know him that well, not not well enough to be upset by someone's passing. But I guess because I kind of was somebody that sort of like looked up to him and kind of, found him really inspiring and motivating and aspirational in terms of the stuff that he was doing um from afar it was kind of it kind of felt like it was a personal loss because i kind of was you know a friend of his from afar right you know what i mean i kind of had this uh, parasocial relationship with the dude because i was always on his instagram and whatnot so it was always weird to me when he did pass that you didn't really hear anything from kanye about it like he didn't really speak publicly about it or pay tribute to the guy there's some passing comments here and there but considering what Virgil meant to Kanye and what Kanye meant to Virgil you just didn't you didn't feel like that was the appropriate way to maybe honor your friend I don't know maybe it's not me to say that because it's their friendship but it just felt weird at the time why it didn't happen then of course many years progress and then you know Kanye and Tremaine have that argument and Tremaine basically airs out and says what he says about Kanye not being invited to the funeral and then suddenly things start to kind of makes sense about the you know, the friction that they had, maybe because of the Louis Vuitton job or just because of the industry stuff, whatever it may be, it maybe led me to believe that maybe they weren't always on the best of terms anyway. So whatever v- kind of impression that they kind of gave to the world or the fact that Virgil basically was always kind of very politically correct and didn't really say anything out loud maybe led us to believe things and maybe fill in the blanks that weren't really there but really behind the scenes they weren't really as cool as they probably uh, made it seem but I thought Kanye's comments about Virgil here were really interesting overall um, some of them a little bit disrespectful um, and not really something that you'd want to say when you're trying to honour your friend's legacy but again I think just to kind of gain some insight into what's kind of really going on behind the scenes with these people, because I, you know, it's all, it's, it's definitely been eye opening for me these last weeks to kind of see that nothing has really changed in the scene. I kind of took a step back actively from being a participant in it and kind of just viewed it as a customer and as a fan from afar, but it's, it's kind of weird to see that nothing has really changed. Everyone's kind of the same. People are stabbing each other in the back. Um, People are holding secrets over people, and uh, you know, and if you do do something they don't like, they're gonna air you out. People are smashing each other's flipping boyfriends and girlfriends and stuff behind each other's backs. People are jealous of people because of jobs that they got. They're bad-minding you, they're doing this. It's all all the stuff that I knew was happening, but it's kind of wild, wild to see it at that level, right? I was doing it, it was, I see it in my kind of lowly level, at my sort of like protein studios level, but it's mad to see it happening at this level, right? At the kind of LVMH flipping, you know, Paris Fashion Week, um, Kardashian, Kanye level. That's flipping nuts to see. But this is anyways, a video, a clip, um, Kanye on Virgil, um, an outtake from the Tucker Carlson interview that I'm going to play now.
2: At the end of the day, we all know we have to answer to God. Now, some of us in desperate times may grab a little bit too much of the Hennessy, I'll be specific. Arno, shout out. Thank you for making the Hennessy, it's delicious. That's that's an LVMH company. I'm kind of very much so, in, in beefing with them right now because they killed my best friend, Virgil. Uh, How did they kill Virgil? They first of all, they hired him. Um, well, do you want the uh, you want the? I'm gonna try to like give you the abbreviated story. Yeah. Okay. So Virgil was hired as my assistant. And he ended up becoming one of my best friends because we traveled everywhere. We traveled to Japan. We interned in Italy at Fendi because we weren't accepted in Paris. And we started to gain momentum in the design world. And then Virgil did his own line called Off-White. And then I stopped doing the Kanye West line. I started doing the Yeezy line. And I did a, a licensing deal. I had a licensing deal with um, with, um, Adidas, I mean, we still have that deal, and we did this fashion show that was the, um, the, it was like the most seen fashion show in history, so Bernardo Arnault, the head of LVMH, asked to meet with me, and he offered me a deal, but with the deal, they had to have ownership, because they're colonizers. Uh, they, they're not there to just, hey, we're going to give you support and, you know, you do the best thing you can. They, all, the, all these people, a lot of the VCs and a lot of these kind of companies, they have to have ownership. And Louis Vuitton have presented themselves in such a way they have so much real estate where a black man's dream come true would be to have that level of support from a company because then we can go back into the neighborhood in our pink Cadillac, metaphorically. Yeah, now, the pink Cadillac was literally invented for that. Do like Google that. I don't feel we don't have enough time to talk about it right here. But, um the Cadillac, that specifically color pink, is just like, so um, all of my design team wanted to work with Louis Vuitton. So Bernard Arnault shook my hand, said we're going to do the Kanye West deal at Louis Vuitton. And I was actually going to give him the lion's share, which God, thank God, I didn't. Three months later, they dropped the deal at the board. The next collection uh, I do, season two, we don't have anyone to support it because I had to have Adidas indemnify the collection. The third collection, we're there. uh, Virgil's working with me. He's got his line, but he's my main employee. And he's uh, running the Donda uh, design group and he's bringing in Heron Preston and Matt Williams is working with me and we have our, our crew. Um, and we do this show at MSG and it's like a big hit. Uh, season four, I, uh, I did a show and it started late and I was really depressed about that. Then a week later, Kim got robbed in Paris. Then, I, I just tell Scooter, after I finished his leg, Scooter Braun was my manager at that time, I said, after I finished his leg of the tour, I need to... Uh, I need to. I need to take a rest. I need to go to Japan. I love it in Japan, and they, um, Scooter's like, no, you have to do more touring. And four days into that tour, I was exhausted. I screamed from stage. I would have voted for Trump. This stuff. I was like, it's all from everything at that time. Like, the fashion show, my wife getting robbed. All these people telling me I couldn't say anything about Trump. Uh, it was just a lot
0: and i ended up in the hospital and i just a, just to pause it there quickly i find it interesting how the question was about virgil and why he thinks Elvia your the cause of his death which is an absolute insane you know claim to put out there but it is what it is and he spends the entire time just talking about himself talking about his career talking about his struggles talking about his tribulations talking about you know the things he had to overcome talking about his inspirations, what all this sort of stuff. And it's like, this is maybe the perfect kind of summation of maybe what's wrong with modern-day Kanye. He's unable to kind of take a step back and see things for how they actually are. Because in this story, he's, he's the victim, but he's also the victor, which is really strange. He kind of does that thing that the Kardashians do a lot of times, where, where they want to be looked at as these kind of like... um what they call them again they want to be looked at as these uh as these girl bosses right like they work hard they work out a lot they 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 their diet on point they're always in the office on their laptop answering emails going to the factory and doing this and doing that and doing whatever it may be. but then you also can't comment on their appearance because they're victims because they you know, they're women and because you know you can't judge a book by its cover all this sort of nonsense so they want to be the the bosses of all bosses But then they also want to be able to pull out or to stand behind the victim narrative because it suits their needs. And Kanye is the same thing. He's the kind of reincarnation of every great artist that's ever lived. But on the other part as well, he's also being controlled by these kind of invisible forces that are kind of trying to push him to the brink of suicide or something. You can't be a bully and a victim at the same time. You kind of have to choose one. And for him, he just kind of keeps dancing between the both of the things at the same time. And again, this question was about Virgil. You know what I mean? Why do you think LVMH drove Virgil to death? And he hasn't really been able to explain it. He's, if anything, he's explaining why LVMH might be responsible for him if he ends up passing away, God forbid. But you know what I mean? He's not really explaining the Virgil thing. And why I bring this up is because as a Kanye fan... And as a real big fan of Virgil too, and their friendship and their whole expend, extended teams, the Matthew Williams, the Heron Preston, Justin Saunders obviously got downed. Tremaine is also part of that group. I, I like what they did right as a team. I think it was pretty amazing to see her uh, from afar. It was cool to see somebody like Virgil being announced as the flipping mentor director of flipping Louis Vuitton. I remember watching and reading that news for the first time, seeing that video interview with him and Naomi Campbell where he's still trying to process that whole thing. Seeing his first Instagram stories where he was going to the flipping Louis Vuitton offices and going up in that lift and taking pictures of himself and playing around in the studio and you know setting up the decks and stuff and seeing all the old Mark Jacobs shit in there all that stuff was super inspiring and again it's never really ever been a question to me about the quality of the clothes it's always more so about the person they're doing it looks like you has come from the same scene as you has got loads of friends in common as you is also doing this amazing thing so it can only it can only inspire you, it can only make you feel optimistic about the future that, oh, if I work hard in the thing that I'm doing, I can maybe achieve a level of greatness, a level of achievement that I could never ever envision before. And it's all because somebody's gave you a little sprinkle of inspiration. So when Terrain came out with that claim, that Kanye wasn't invited to the private funeral, which we didn't knew about, right? It was only something they knew about behind the scenes. It was never shared with us, with anybody, with the fans or anything. So when we found out that Virgil's supposed best friend wasn't invited to his private funeral and also wasn't allowed to talk at the public funeral, it kind of made you think, whoa, what the flip is going on? Because usually in funerals, when stuff like that happens, other family members or his close friends will step in and say, hey, I know you you guys fell out, but honestly, we need to honour this guy's wishes or honour this girl's wishes. Let's let the person speak. But I guess at the time of his death, they were not on good terms at all to the point where the family were like, no, nah, you're not speaking, which is flipping crazy. So that, that kind of claim still hasn't, I don't think, correctly been answered. And if anything, that basically, his lack of answer basically proves that You know, Kanye is like a terrible person. He's maybe a great artist and stuff, but as a friend and anything else personable, he's, or anything that involves a personal relationship, he might be the worst. He legitimately might be the worst, because he still hasn't explained to us why he thinks that just killed him. I wear that badge, every conversation, I can be, you know, put down for that. Oh, and also, last point. He keeps talking about this thing about OVMH Or about um, uh, Bernard Arnault shaking his head and saying Hey I'm going to give you this licensing deal I'm going to put money behind your brand or whatever it may be Why does he not think that they just maybe decided to just change direction Because they just felt maybe Kanye wasn't brand aligned Or maybe they felt like he might have another freak out And kind of put them into a sticky position Or maybe... Um, you know, things in the business just change. Why does it, it always have to be some big conspiracy? That's what I don't understand. And then also he kind of fails to link or to basically think about what happened in those three months because he says, oh, he, he shook hands with Bernard Arno. Oh, here I'm going to do this deal with you. And then three months later, the deal got killed at the board level when they went to approve it but he never mentions what happened in those three month period. Did he have a freak out? Was he involved in some public spat that would have put his name into, you know, in the mud and whatnot? What happened in those three months? I'm sure that would have affected these really prim, proper, you know, Parisian dudes who are behind kind of making those big decisions at flipping VMH. You'd imagine so, right? Or whoever these executives are, but he doesn't really think about that in the slightest. Very, very strange. So Virgil is going on and, you know,
2: being more and more successful in clicking all the dots, all the boxes that a black designer and black creative should click, more than anyone ever. He's basically like Michael Jordan. You know, he is the Michael Jordan of fashion, literally. Uh, He's clicking all of these dots, and he gets the deal to be the head of men's design at Louis Vuitton, which is, you know, aside from Hermes, is one of the most
0: prestigious jobs in the world. And he goes in, and the prop... Do you think, but do you think Kanye was always kind of envious that Virgil was able to play the game more than him? Do you think so? Because Virgil clearly was able to play the game. Like you look at his example, like that famous video clip of Virgil in, uh, I think it's Colette signing stuff, and then ASAP, Bari, and Ian Connor and Fiyofas London fighting behind him, literally fighting, and he's still signing stuff. Is like maybe the clearest example of just him being about his business, you know, being professional, always turning up. Always, you know, always attending, always showing up, always being accessible, always doing the work, bloody blah, blah, blah. And he was just able to maneuver a little bit easier in the corporate environment or in that kind of brand environment with other professionals. And for whatever reason, Kanye just can't do it. He wants to work with these people he wants them to help him in manufacturing once he gets into deals with them he quickly realizes that it's just not for him everything in his body just starts to shake and then he goes on these crazy tirades in an effort to get people far away from him so he can kind of be on his own again i wonder if that's the thing so he might be both envious that virgil could do it and also pissed off at himself that he can't do it product is selling uh, virgil
2: was the, actually the third person to die of cancer in that organization. Uh, so, not just black men have passed in that organization, uh, but the third person to die of cancer that was in a higher up position in that
0: organization. Basically, trying to ascribe conspiracy theories to your friend passing away, is that just a form of grief? Is that him basically coming to, is that one of the stages of grief that he's kind of currently on, this kind of weird conspiracy theory thing? That he's going for that. He still hasn't maybe accepted the fact that his friend was just, it's unfortunate the passing. And also, he wasted maybe a lot of time not maybe making up with him and making things right before he passed. Maybe that's something. Because that's such a bizarre thing to do. Yes, your friend, isn't it? Like, why are you ascribing flipping conspiracy theories? Like, huh? And with Paris,
2: it's a different level of elitism and racism. And Virgil was the kind of guy that uh, he didn't hold it in. And I believe it ate him up from inside. And- How old was he? 40, early 40s. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> and they were like, what you mean you're his best friend? You don't know the
0: exact age, but I don't know the date. <laughs> you know. He was a young- oh, that is a good point though. If you're always supposed to best friend, you should know what date, you should know how old he is. Maybe you don't know his fucking birthday, but you shouldn't know how old he is to the number. You no, know, like early forties. But again, that goes to showing it. Just classic narcissism. Isn't it? If it doesn't, if it's not about him, it doesn't matter.
2: Young oh, man, yeah, he's a young man. So, uh, so he, um, uh, the level of racism, elitism, and pressure that he was under, I'm sure affected his health. And then at that point, also me and Virgil had a rivalry because he had taken my place in fashion. He now was Drake to the radio of what he was to fashion. And we had a strained relationship also. But the people I've spent the most time with in my life is my mom, second, Kim, third, Virgil. Lost all three of them in, you know, in
0: some way mm. at this point. Um, so. I'm sorry, but having a rivalry with your best friend is just not normal. No matter what anyone says, it's not normal. And I'm assuming it was mostly a rivalry that was born from Kanye's side of things because he was the one that was maybe more cut up and annoyed, But you probably should have have every reason to be because Virgil basically got the his dream job. He called himself the Louis Vuitton Don. He did a pretty decent collaboration with Louis Vuitton the first time around. Probably thought that would be the first step to kind of maybe getting pally pally with them. And then they kind of chose another person, his protege to kind of work with him instead. It could maybe be a bit gut-wrenching. It's like them overlooking you and then basically hiring your intern. Not not that deep because George wasn't an intern, but still, you know, I get why he was upset. But that's the kind of thing where you're allowed to be upset maybe for a couple of days, maybe for a week at most. Then you're meant to do everything in your power to support your friend. You're meant to be at the front row. You're meant to be offering to help them, flying people over to help them, lending them their resources. That's what it should really be because may in the end, if that person wins, you also win because you're their friend, because you exist in the same space. You, you've you got a close bond. When people people seeing you together maybe kind of cement that sort of stuff. So it didn't it's just something that I don't really ever understand how that can make sense in his head like that was just a normal thing we should be rivals and also allowing the industry to kind of play you off each other as well is also kind of weird and lame especially considering what they had to both go through together at the time because they were both kind of you know basically going through the ringer of flipping Paris fashion industry at the same time so to kind of adopt this kind of like, oh, he's one of them sort of thing, when well, you know he's not, when well, you know that's your boy, when well, you know you've kind of had to share sandwiches and shit and whatnot. That's the gross part of it, I think so.
2: I felt what Bernardo. Arnault, not only did he pull on the deal that contributed to me breaking down uh, and go back on his word with that, um, he also went on to hire multiple people out of
0: my organization. This whole Bernard I know caused me to have a breakdown thing is weird, like victim stuff. Cause you know, one minute you're saying he's the strongest ever mindset wise. I didn't have a breakdown, I had a breakthrough. Next minute you're accusing this little scrawny white dude that owns, you know, one of the biggest flashing house conglomerates in the world of like flipping, you know, causing you to go straight to the, causing you to go to the brink of a breakdown. is really, really bizarre like strange 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 and then this last point he making about oh they poached all my talents like don't you want you hire some of the best people in the industry isn't that maybe like a sign that you have a good eye for talent also like what do you want you want them to stay by your side forever and not make money and stuff and not prosper their career like it's very strange and it kind of feels like the type place where if he did quit depending on what mood he was in he he's one of his bosses to be like yeah i don't ever want to see you here again don't text anyone on the team like you're basically dead to us kind of thing I mean, it's not really ever that serious, but anyway, that was a whole interview. Not gonna play any more of it because, again, like I said, it's just a bit of a bummer because you know I was quite invested in them as people and a relationship together from afar, and to see what it's kind of you know this devolved into, especially post Virgil's death, has been pretty sad to be honest. Really bad way to honor his legacy, especially on the first anniversary of his fucking passing. It's quite horrible, but you know what are you gonna do? What you gonna do? Anyways That For me Is the Agostino's Dinger Show Number 608 Thanks so much For tuning in As per you It's been a pleasure To have your company If it's your first time Tuning into to show You know what to do Smash like Hit subscribe Leave me a comment Down below If you Would like to come back And visit the channel Of course you can Click subscribe And if you're watching You know If you listen To the video portion As always You'll hear a tune Of the day To kind of You know um, see you out And if you're watching this via YouTube It'll just go straight to black But thanks anyway guys I'll see you guys soon
1: Fucking war going on outside right now Rest in peace to all the fallen soldiers man Fuck the ops no Slider Free the guys if you ain't stepping, you ain't ready for the war, stay inside if you ain't chipping in for firearms or corn, stay inside if you ain't putting money for dingers, all been pulling them triggers We can still be niggas but stay inside If you ain't stepping, you ain't ready for the war, stay inside if you ain't chipping in for firearms or corn, stay inside if you ain't putting money for dingers, all been pulling them triggers We can still be niggas by stay inside I don't think you really know what's happening in the West He was out without a vest and got a bullet in his chest We're getting older so we shoot and we don't shut. If you don't hear, you must throw and it's out All these unsolved murders, it's a mystery. They ain't seen this much shootings and history. There ain't no caution sound to tell them That it's slippery slip, you're gonna dead And you can't claim from that injury What's your bro flagging? We'll grab him and toe tag him We've been saw snatching Pole packing and throat slashing We've been chrome slapping Head splat, no chatting If you ain't shooting shit, shut the fuck up i stop rapping If you ain't stepping, you ain't ready for the war Stay inside If you ain't chipping in for firearms or corn Stay inside If you ain't putting money for dingers Or been pulling them triggers We can still be niggas but stay inside If you ain't stepping, you ain't ready for the war Stay inside If you ain't chipping in for firearms or corn
2: Stay inside You ain't putting money for dingers All been pulling them triggers